Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The call to confession today is Proverbs 29, verse 18. There is no prophetic, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. It's interesting that many of the church growth experts of our day will quote the first half of this verse from the King James Version, and it reads like this, where there is no vision, the people perish. This becomes their proof text for claiming that it provides a biblical basis for the singular importance of vision for leadership. While I don't deny that leaders need to know where they are going, a vision in and of itself is not what prompts God to work on our behalf. From the English Standard Version, which I read, which is printed in your bulletin, and from most other reliable translations, rather than visioning, the emphasis is on the revelation, the opening, the clarifying of God's will in His law. How is God's will made known to us? It is as the inherent Word of God is given breath, life, and application to us by the Holy Spirit. Without a revelation of God's will, mankind is desperately ignorant and, is self, and will self-destruct. The lesson is simple but powerful. God's Word is a great blessing, and obeying it is the basis for true happiness. But where the Word of God is not preached, the people will die in ignorance and folly from starvation for true knowledge. God, at times, has taken and may take his word away from his people. For example, in general, God was not revealing himself and his will to Israel until Samuel arrived. From 1 Samuel 3, we read, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. We see similar times when God himself uh, would... Uh, when, when God withheld himself. During the time, for example, of the time of Asa, during Josiah's reign and the law, when the law of God was lost, and during the Babylonian exile. In fact, Jesus saw his own people without faithful preaching as sheep without a shepherd. Without the word of God to save him, man will worship totem poles, stop biblical training of their own children, confuse the role of men and women, and believe that we came from monkeys, kiss a stone in Mecca, save baby seals while aborting baby humans, invent safe-sex marriages, and so forth. And here we are right to long for a pastor who is able to preach the Word of God in its rich fullness. Because without God's Word, men wonder out of way of, run out of the way of understanding, and as today Proverbs says, they cast off restraint. With all the restraints thrown off, they are left to perish there under Satan's delusions. God called men must preach the word of God faithfully and uncompromisingly. Scripture is completely sufficient to make faithful every minister, I'm sorry, to take every faithful minister perfectly prepared to instruct his people in all wisdom of God. With the Bible as his handbook, a faithful man of God can destroy the errors and illusions of false teaching, and with the aid of the Holy Spirit, cultivate a congregation which, as the last half of this proverb says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. This reminds us of our own need to confess our sins 
please kneel where you are if you're willing. It's a pleasure to be here again and again it's always a great challenge and I I have been so blessed by Christ Church here in Limestone County and all those opportunities that you guys um, the church leadership have given me to me to preach God's Word and the word today comes from Joshua chapter 1 verses we're going to deal with verse 1 and 2, verse 9. Just a little background here of Joshua. Um, you know, just from uh, the last chapter here in Deuteronomy 34, it's about the death of Moses. And you may guess um, that Moses' Moses' death had a huge impact in Joshua's and all Israel's lives. So... We know that under, it was under Moses' leadership that God's people came out of Egypt. It was under Moses' leadership that they got um, the law from God. They became a nation under uh, Moses' leadership. They received all the Levitical system. They were set apart as a nation under uh, Moses' leadership. And now Moses is dead. So you can imagine yourself stepping to take his leadership. And now as a people, as God's people, trusting in this new leader called Joshua. It was, an, it was not a new, uh, 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 new call from him, but it was, was not an a, a easy call for him, neither for Israel as a nation. But besides... Uh, the absence of Moses. We also have few challenges here. So, as you know, those people that are about to cross the Jordan here, they, they are new people. They are not even uh, circumcised. Um, so we have a new people, a new leader, going to a new place that they don't have too much idea about. So, many challenges. So, this passage here is about God's assurance to Joshua and to all Israel. So, God wants to make sure that Joshua and all Israel will be confident. But the question is, in whom or in what? So we have three challenges here. New leader, new people, going to a new place. It is interesting that for three times the Lord will say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. For three times. So, again, God's assurance to Joshua and to all Israelite here. And I also want to anticipate here... Um, Three imperatives that we're going to see here, be strong and courageous, are very related here to others' three indicatives. We're going to see here that 
God's commands, be strong and courageous, are necessarily related to three indicatives. And we're going to see in verse 6, the first one is God's promise. Verse 7 and 8, God's word. And verse 5 and 9, God's everlasting presence with his people. So here we go to deal with these three points here. So follow with me, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servants of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to to Moses, from the wilderness to this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, and all the land of Hittites, to the great sea towards going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that it is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Let's pray one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for the promises that we are, you are and will be always with us. And here we are before the preaching of your word. As we have heard, we are a needy people and we have a need to hear a voice. So please speak to us, help us, open up our minds and hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. As I said, the main point in this passage here is God's assurance to Joshua. But not only to Joshua, because if you see verses 2, 3, and 4, we have these grammatical forms for you and your a plural so God is speaking to all Israel to all of them it was not just Joshua charge uh, God's charge to Joshua but to all Israel and the first thing I want to show here um, highlight here is that as I said be strong and courageous is not an empty command God, ne God never 
command us to do something that he has not provided for us something. So we're going to see the imperatives and the indicatives. And I would like to say the imperatives of the gospel and the indicatives of the gospel. What the gospel requires for, from us and what the gospel is providing for us to fulfill what the gospel itself asks from us. So be strong and courageous for three times. It's an imperative. It's a command. And the first indicative we're going to see here is God's promise. God's promise. Verse 2. The Lord tells Joshua to get the people ready to cross this Jordan and to enter the promised land because God is about to give it to them. And God says, I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. In verse 3, God is being more specific here. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. In verse 4, you see the land description. In verse 5, we can even add uh, verse 5 here when the Lord says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. In verse 6, For you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So first thing to notice here, all these passages here, you may already realize, point us back to early promise that God made to his people. Starting with Abraham. It's not different. It's not a new promise. It's not a new covenant. It's a renewing of God's covenant. With Abraham in chapter 12, when the Lord appeared to Abraham, he said, To your offspring I will give these lands. In verse in chapter 15, Genesis, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, and he goes on and describing the land, just as here in verse 4, describing the people who were in the land, the Hittites, Canaanites, and so on. So, it's pretty interesting here, again, Yahweh. God's not making a new promise, but just renewing again and again. And the way that he's doing here is by organically expanding the nature of his promise. You don't see new promises. You see that God's promise is always organically expanding from a people to a land, having a king. So, but his interest as well the way Yahweh is speaking here, the language that he's using here, the sovereign language, only he can use this. I, I am giving, I have given, just as I promised, I swore. In other words, I will do it. Does that sound something similar from the beginning? Genesis 3, verse 15, when the Lord said to um, the serpent, Adam and Eve, I will do it. I will put enmity 
between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, I will do it. I will bring about salvation to my people. It's the language that God uses throughout the scripture here. So, what is the ground for Joshua to be strong and to be courageous? What is the ground here? The answer is God's faithfulness to His promise. That's the ground. That's why I tied the sermon today, a call to faith. Because this is a call to Joshua and to all Israel to trust in God's promise, to rely in God's promise, to keep God's promises in mind, God's everlasting covenant with His people, His sovereignty. So God's not only commands, but also provides in the ground so that Joshua and all Israel could believe and trust and obey. So it's a call to faith. It's a call to trust God's faithfulness to His promise. But again, see how Yahweh is speaking here. Verse 2 and 3. If you have your Bible. See how the Lord is speaking here to Joshua and to Israel. I am giving the land to the people of Israel. And then verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. So what? Have you seen something interesting here? I'm giving, I have given. So first thing to notice here is that Canaan, the land of Canaan, was God's gift to his people. Just as salvation for us is God's gift. And God alone is the giver. He is not Moses, Joshua, David. They were all only God's agents of the giving. God is the ultimate land giver. And another thing to notice here, if you um, heard... The tense of the verb here is the already but not yet nature of God's promise. Can you see that? In verse 3, the verb is imperfect. The land already belongs to God's people. It's a complete action. God has already given the land to His people. And if you notice one of our readings today, since the foundation of the world, God's kingdom is already given to His people. So verse 2, going back, the verb is the imperfect form and participle, which means the giving was yet to be accomplished. I'm giving, I already gave in both sense here in both uh, tense gear here 
God is the giver. God is the guarantor of His promise. And it's the same for God's kingdom in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. The already. But then they're not yet. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. We are God's children right now, but we are not yet what we will be when Christ appeared again. So God's kingdom, in the same way, the not yet nature of God's kingdom. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, We are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. But we are here. And that's the reality of God's kingdom. The already, but not yet. So God's kingdom is still coming. But we have God's promise. Just as the Israelites has God's promise. That they will possess the promised land. Be strong and courageous. And the ground is God's faithfulness to His promise. But there is another ground here. God's Word. Turn with me to verse 7-8. Only be strong and courageous. Here again, the imperative of the Gospel. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that it is written it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So be strong and courageous is necessarily related to God's Word. That's the ground for us to fulfill this charge, to be strong. At the heart of God's command here, be strong and courageous, is a call, again, to faith, to dependence on God's Word. In other words, to listen to God's Word, to observe God's Word, to pay attention to God's words, to, obeys, uh, to obey God's Word. And here, personified in the law that God gave to Moses. These are keys for Joshua and all Israel to success to meditate on it, to be immersed in God's words. But notice here, again, where are we going here? We are going to the promised lands. This is God's instruction that He is giving to His covenant people as a preparation for them to enter 
in the promised lands. Now, put yourself in their shoes. You are about to possess the promised land. A land that was promised centuries ago. Now is your time. It's you. It's about you. Not Moses. Not even your fathers and mothers. It's you. You are about to take over the promised land. But remember, this is not an empty land. So, you are about to face many battles ahead. Many enemies. Think about the bad reports. The book of Numbers chapter 13. From those spies who brought to Moses and all Israel the bad news of the lands after they returned from spying out the lands. They brought the bad news. And the bad news was the people who dwell in the land are stronger than Israel. Their cities are fortified and very large. That's the bad news. You cannot take over on your own. That's why there is a call to faith. There is a call for the good news, which is very tied, related to God's word. So here we are, about to face strong enemies, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, all kinds of ites. And you know you'll be on the field without knowing about war. You are a new people. You are not even circumcised. You don't know too much. But here we are receiving God's instruction as a preparation to take over the promised lands. So my question to you is, isn't it better to be more appropriate for God to give us instruction about military matters? We are going to war. We are going to the battlefield. We are not going to the church. We are about to face strong enemies. So, God could come to us and, and teach us how to build strong weapons, how to fight. And he, was, he is about to do that. You may recall about Jericho. God did teach his people how to fight. But right now here, God is giving spiritual instruction for His people to learn how they should walk with Him. So, how would you answer to God's instruction here? Spiritual instruction. As you are going to the battlefield. Come on, God. We are about to, to fight. And here you come, giving us a preaching, a sermon. Have you heard something like that from your kids? Please, Father, Dad, stop preaching. Come on, God. It's not about the Bible. It's about war. The Bible has nothing to say about war. Have you felt in that way? Some areas of your life that you say to yourself, or you say to your spouse, or to 
and your kid says to you, no, no, don't preach to me. Don't preach to me. But here we have Joshua receiving God's instruction, spiritual instruction. And it seems that Joshua understand that Israel's success were primarily on their spiritual matters, on their spiritual walking, relationship with the Lord. That's the way they would take over the promised lands. That's the way they would um, have success to depend on, to trust, to obey God's word. That was their weapons. No wonder why in verse 18, the Israelites seem to understand as well the seriousness of trusting and obeying God's word. So they answer to Joshua, whoever rebels against your commandments and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You see, the Israelites already learned it. Yeah, it is about God's word. It's not about us. Whatever God says to you, whatever God commands you, we can obey. It's a covenant language. It's a call to faith, to trust God's word, to trust God's law, to obey Him. And if you remember those words here, obey and leave, disobey and die, echoes Deuteronomy chapter 28, describing the blessing for trusting and obeying God's word and the curses for not trusting and disobeying God's word. And we're going to see both examples here. Chapter 6, the fall of Jericho. They took over. Why? Because they obeyed God's word. You better do this. Walk around this wall. How many times? How many times I say to you, just walk and obey. But that's weird. Yeah, and later on, blew your trumpets. What? You're not going to use any arrows here, bombs? No, just blow your trumpets. But we haven't done this before. Whatever. Just obey. And they did. But then in chapter 7, what's happened? We see the fall of Israel before the man of Ai. Do you remember? Right in the beginning of chapter 7, we find the reason why Israel felt. The first verse, it says, it was because the people of Israel broke faith. And then the following verse show how they broke faith. And you may remember that one of the men of Israel from the tribe of Judah, named Achan, did not listen, did not trust, did not obey God's word. And that's why all the Israelites fell in the battle. And when Josh asked him, what have you done? So here, 
his answer here, verse 20 and 21. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak, cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted and took them. Did you see that? I was doing our devotion with our kids and I, and I made a question, what, what was Achan um, seen here? Oh, he's tall. No, something came before. The tenth commandment, he broken. You shall not covet. And here is his confessing. Then I coveted them and took them. That's how the Israelites broke faith by not trusting God's word, by not obeying God's word. And it's pretty interesting here because the tenth commandment, which generally focus on outward actions, the tenth one focus, focuses on thoughts and minds. It's about what you think. It starts here. It's an imperative against setting our desires on things that we are, we are forbidden to take. But it starts here in our minds. So that's why it's imperative that the Israelites could listen, obey, meditate day and night in God's word. And even speak God's word. So that their minds could be immersed in God's word. Could be saturated in God's word. To avoid the breaking of faith. So that's why for me it's more than God's charge to Joshua. It's more than God's commands to Joshua. It's a call to faith. To trust God's word. To trust God's promise. But then, now, to trust God's presence. God's word, God's presence, God's promise are the ground for us to be strong. And again, I think, think about the, the, the impact of Moses' death on Joshua and all Israel here. So we are changing now to God's everlasting presence here. Verse 5 and 9. Verse 5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. How we are supposed to be strong and courageous. What is the ground? God's presence. He will be with us always. And those verses here, we're going to read later on, verse 9. Verse 5 and 9 answer the question whether or not Joshua will be able to carry on Moses' legacy as the new leader. And here's God saying, yes, he will. Because I will be with him just as I was with Moses. 
In other words, it's not about man. It's about God being with us. And I would think about the church here. For how long we have been without pastor. But we have never been without God's presence. Amen? Because He promised. That's the ground for us to be courageous and strong. And keep doing what He called us to do. But these words here that Joshua is listening now from God are almost identical words God spoke to Moses, chapter 7 and then chapter 11. No man will be able to stand before you. So, in one hand, no one will match Moses in the history of Israel, in the way that God spoke with him face to face, in the way that God used him in, a, in so many wondrous, miracles, ways. But God's presence will be always the same for all covenant people in all ages. That's the ground. That's a call to faith. Believe. I will be with you. So now, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. As you can see here, God's everlasting presence is necessarily related to His everlasting promise. God never separates both of them. They're all together. God's promise and God's presence and God's word. So the words, I will be with you, recall identical promise made to others before Joshua. For instance, Isaac, Genesis 26, Jacob, Genesis 31, Moses, again, chapter 3. I will be with you. Moses had already told Joshua, God will be with you, Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Now God himself is saying to Joshua, I will be with you. And it's pretty interesting here. It's just amazing that God is using here throughout the Old Testament this covenant language. I will be with you. To encourage his covenant people to be strong and courageous. So his people has been called to rely in his presence. And if we move to the New Testament, this covenant language, Jesus also used it with his disciple, with his church. Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'll be with you. Again, just like Moses' death had a great impact on the Israelites, Jesus' death as well. But Jesus promised, I will not leave you as orphans, but rather, Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Counselor. And here, verse 9, Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. So here in verse 9, we have something new. We have both the positive, the posi positive and the negative uh, command. Be strong and courageous. And then, do not frighten and do not be dismayed. How is that possible? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And remember, we are going to war. And here is God saying that He will be with His people. God's final words in preparation to His people to take over the lands, to defeat those nations. The ground is God's presence. And if we go to Second Kings, those words here that God is keeping saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous, um, meditate on my word day and night, you'll be the same words to kings, to those who will be king in Israel. Although Joshua is not a king, God is anticipating the way kings in Israel were supposed to live out the word of God, to trust his word, to trust his presence, to trust his promise. Perhaps in the future of Israel, some kings may wonder, wonder why we need God's presence in the field, instead of just having strong weapons, bows, arrows, who needs God when you have a strong army, isn't it? Who needs God when you have mighty warriors? We don't need God. That's the feeling that we're going to see in the history of the common people later on. We don't need God. Who needs God in the field? Now, put that question to us here. How can we reshape this question to us? Oh yeah, we can. Who needs God when we have a good theology? Who needs God when we have a good reformed confession of faith? Who needs God when you have a good programs in our church? Have seen some Christians church trusting more in what they have than in God's presence? Who needs God when you have a good seminary degree? Who needs God when you have a financial stability in our life? And so on, we can apply this question to all areas of our life. But you see, be strong and courageous here because I am with you. Which means, be strong in the strength of the Lord. That is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His mighty. It's a call to faith. The reason why you can be strong 
is because the Lord is with you. Be strong and courageous. It's not a call for Joshua to self-reflection himself and see how good he is and how able he is. No. It's a call to faith and trust in God's promise, in God's word, in God's presence. That's why God's not only encouraging His people to be strong and courageous, but also saying to them, you should not be afraid. You should not be dismayed. You see, fear is not an option for Christians. You know why? Because fear is a sin against God. It opposes God's promises. It opposes God's presence. Sin, fear, lead us to doubt, to rebel, to sin against God. Can we avoid fear? No. But can we avoid fear to dominate us? Yes. If we turn ourselves to God's promise, to God's word, and to God's promise presence so that's the call for us and may God help us to keep our eyes in both the imperative of the gospel be strong be courageous and the indicatives his promises will never fail his words will never fail and he will never forsake us let's pray gracious heavenly father thank you for your everlasting promises thank you for your faithfulness to your people in all ages thank you for your word that guide us that lead us in how we should walk with you thank you for for being our God Emmanuel God with us thank you for Never forsake us, never leave us. Thank you for the work you have done in Christ's church all this year. You have been a good shepherd. Your promise will never fail to this church. Thank you, O oh Lord. May your Holy Spirit apply those truths of the Gospels into our hearts so that we may be built up in the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. And we pray as He taught us to pray. about our own sinfulness and at the same time point to the fullness of our deliverance from that silk, from that uh, from our sinfulness that we have in Christ there's that that tension there while it's true that we cannot escape our sinful natures God does not bar us from heaven each time we sin until we confess them again 
once God has granted us faith to trust in the death of his son on our behalf, he adopts us. He calls us his own. And from that point on, it's God holding on to us. He will not let us go. And it was in, into my college years before I really came to the understanding and the assurance of the truth of, my, of this salvation regarding my salvation. And that it wasn't something that I needed to keep coming back to God and asking him back into my life. This assurance really became a foundation for my continuing Christian walk. And our Father in Heaven thinks you are great and assures you of this fact. His love for you existed while you were yet in your sins. He thinks you are good enough and great enough to send his son to die for you. But that does not at all discount the need for proper look at ourselves as sinners and the need to turn to Christ in confession and repentance. In turning to Christ in confession and repentance, it does not change the fact that our Heavenly Father loves us, loves us deeply. He loved you while you were a mess of sin, and He loves you as you still are a mess of sin. It's His lavish love that draws you to Himself and holds out life to you through His Son, that sends His Spirit to you to comfort you, to sustain you, to call you back, to guide, to lead, to humble you, to exalt you, to sanctify and to bless you. This table, this table is his meal. It's God's gift to us. It's a reminder of the death that we deserve, his salvation for us and his great love for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. And I will contend with you that it's more than simply just a memorial meal. God, God cultivates his worship service by feeding our souls. He nourishes us in ways we don't see or understand as we seek to be obedient to him in our lives and in the lives of our own households. It's a privilege for me to have this role to speak to you, this great promise to you as a people that, that are beloved by God, our Father. I hope you feel honored and blessed in his presence today. He thinks you are wonderful children and he's very proud of how you are turning out and how you keep turning to him. And as always, I agree with my father. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.